Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. My name is Joshua Thanos, and today I'm joined by my good friend, watch trader, and big-time collector, same as me, Jason Main. Hey, Jason, how are you? Hey, I'm well. Hey, guys, thanks for uh, logging on and listening to us ramble about some watches. It's good to be back. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's been a while since we recorded one of these. Uh, things are definitely uh, lots of uh, current events have uh, have passed, and uh, we're uh, the watch world's on fire. So uh, let's start with our customary risk check, and uh, then we'll get started. So Jay, what do you got on the wrist today? Uh, today I have my newest piece. Uh, very very exciting for me. It's a H Moser uh, Pioneer, but unlike any other uh, Pioneer, or I guess like 50 other of its brethren, it's a uh, collaborative piece for Collective. Um, so yeah, one of 50 pieces, uh, dark green Fume dial, rotating bezel. It has a box crystal and the hands from the, the Streamliner. Uh, also the handset that's on the new Mega Cool. So it's a cool mashup. Uh, like I said, one of 50, and I feel very fortunate to have uh, picked it up. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's a piece I know you were looking at for a while. Um, I think you got lucky in yeah. picking it up, and uh, it's you know it's your. So if anybody knows Jason Odie Green or that like that dark camo military green is your color, like that's the Jason Main color, and and that's kind of what you're getting on that watch, which is different than the uh, the, the way Pioneer different than the, seconds. Yeah, way different than the Cosmic Green. Uh, when you put them next to each other, you see the difference. For me, this you know this piece came out. It launched in January of this year, and you know fifty pieces sold out really, like same day, really quickly uh, through the members of Collective. And since then, so almost eight months, I've been trying to get my hands on one, and I finally did. And it's it's definitely been a kind of a bittersweet hunt because now I'm broke and I can't look at any more watches, <laughs> but. Um, super happy to have it. I got, got it on the bracelet, uh, and a couple other strap options. And then I ordered the orange strap, which is sitting on now. And it's, uh, definitely got a cool vibe on the orange. I saw that watch when you came to Florida and I was super impressed. I mean, you got me looking at Moser's now and, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about what I can offload in my collection in order to justify a purchase for a uh, pioneer center seconds. But yours is, I'd say is infinitely cooler than than the regular Pioneer, but I think that's probably where, what I'll end up in is a, uh, a Pioneer Center Seconds. I, I like, I do like all the variations. They have like the blue, they have the new Mega Cool, they have the green, the Cosmic Green, they even have a red dial. So there's there's a lot of options for me there. And and what I like about that watch on a little tangent here, and I was talking to a customer about that, like, uh, you know, I'm a, everybody knows that I'm a big Panerai fan. I have a bunch of Panerais in my sure. collection. And so the the Pioneer Center Seconds is like a super high-end, um, you know, handmade, hand-finished uh, um, version of, of a Panerai, in my opinion, right? It's a kind of a bigger, thicker uh, case, comes on the strap, the rubber strap, and it has like that kind of feel to it. Um, so I think it fits in a collection for somebody who likes Panerais the way I do. I would agree with that. I mean, to an extent, you know, it's basically a sportier dress watch. So mm -hmm. it, it kind of fills that role. It's only 42.8 millimeters, but it definitely wears, you know, if you're used to wearing a 44 millimeter Panerai, you won't be disappointed. That's awesome, man. Congrats on that pickup. Thank you. Um, and today I'm wearing, I guess, not a new watch in my collection. I think I'm coming up on a year of owning this watch now. And this is my Audemars Piguet uh, 26170 Ti for titanium, um, Royal Oak Offshore. 
So this is the last full titanium uh, offshore that they made. This one's from, mine's from 2014, which is I believe the last year that they made this watch. This has the rubber pushers, so it doesn't have the new ceramic pushers or the open case back. Um, it was delivered on a full titanium bracelet, which um, I've put away for the time being. I've been wearing it on different rubber straps. I had it, I did a recording with Mike Manjos um, just about a week, or, uh, a week or so ago on Market Wrap, and I was wearing it on an aftermarket bright, uh, I guess you like a neon green okay. strap. Uh, it was, it's nice, but it was like a silicon strap. So it was a little cheaper. And, um, during my trip in Philly, uh, one of the days we went into the city, New York city, and we went to the AP boutique and, um, to go look to see what they had. And, and they literally had no watches, but they did have a bunch of straps. So we spent some time there and I bought, ended up buying a few straps for the watch. So I bought a, um, it's a rubber authentic AP strap that is black on the interior and then on the edges and on the, and on the inside it's red. So kind of matches the aesthetic on, on my AP because the AP is, um, it has a great, a gray tint dial, black sub dials, and then red accents on the markers and on the, um, on the chrono hand. So this has been the, uh, the strap of choice. And I also picked up a dark green, like an OD green diver strap, which I have the buckle for too. So I'll probably swap it to that. Um, and try that out for a little while. But uh, yeah, that's what I got on the wrist. Titanium offshore. I love this watch. Yeah, you know I'm a you know I'm a fan of titanium. I own several titanium watches, and I think it's that's definitely a, a cool differentiator. You know, differentiator between just other offshores. Kind of makes yeah. it yours, and you know, nothing wrong with a new pair of shoes uh, with some straps. Yeah, I think you got a green strap too, which is definitely must be right. Yeah, the green diver I picked up, and then I have. Uh, I also have the bracelet, which I might throw back on the bracelet pretty soon. I haven't worn it on bracelet for a while, but I have a, quite a few other bracelet watches. So this one's been on the rubber strap uh, during the summer. But uh, yeah, so that's that's on the wrist. Uh, Jason has the Moser. I got the AP. I also have my watch box sitting next to me here with the, all the different stuff. So maybe we'll chat about that. But um, let's uh, let's try a new segment that we that we were kind of bouncing around back in the days when we were doing the live show um, on YouTube and. Uh, and that would be basically like our weekend review, right? So Jason and I are traders for Watchbox. We've been uh, in the industry for nearly a decade, working for Watchbox for uh, me now uh, about nine years, and Jason what about seven years? Yeah, with the company, about right. six seven years. And um, so you know we do quite a bit of volume in terms of business, uh, and you know looking at our book of business on a weekly basis is kind of like a microcosm of the industry. So uh, we wanted to. Kind of give a recap on what we're doing personally to see, you know, what's what's going on in the market and, and uh, if that's a um, a a good indicator of what's happening. So, so Jay, what have you, what's your you know going back a week? You got anything big going on? Any big sales? Any customers? Um, you know, looking at certain watches or selling you packages of watches or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's funny that we. Uh, decided to do this this week. Uh, I'm having probably the best week I've had all year, um, which is crazy considering 2021 has been pretty crazy um, in terms of the watch space. But uh, yeah, I've bought not not a tremendous amount of package pieces, but a couple packages of two to three pieces per trade. Uh, I would say I've bought about 
40 watches this month, but this week specifically, wow. going back to the 12th, about nine watches coming in. Um, and sales-wise, uh, quite a bit, just over half a million dollars or so this week. That's fantastic, man. Congrats. Yeah, so been pretty busy. And that's uh, that's over this, you know, if you want to get into specifics, that's over the course of about 11 transactions. That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of seeing the same thing, though. Yeah, this year has been pretty wild. Um, you know, one record month after the next. Uh, though this this month's sales uh, are not super strong for me. I have quite a few of my top end customers asking about really heavy pieces. So, you know, two hundred fifty thousand dollar Jorns, um, hundred and seventy thousand dollar Longa. I'm working a deal on right now, and I even even had two separate customers reach out to me about. We have a um, an RM Bubba um, yep, on Bubba the awesome. website. Yeah, the bubble watts and the white dot, uh, the the white case, and um, that watches you know about what I think posted for about four hundred and forty thousand dollars. I have two different customers making a run at that, so we do. I do have quite a bit of interest on like super high end stuff, um, and I have been buying quite a few watches. So in the last week, I I purchased uh, I have let's see here three different packages of five or more watches, Rolex heavy. So um, I brought in. Like a uh, a Datejust two white gold Datejust two with diamond markers, um, picked up a few vintage Rolexes. I actually have a fifteen oh three coming in. So if you know that watch, it's actually a pretty rare Rolex. It's a um, it's the oyster uh, the oyster quartz case. So like that angular oyster quartz case, but it's the automatic movement in that watch. So um, I was actually starting to dig into the into the history of the watch, and I, I'm still going to do some more research, but. That's a pretty special piece, and you know that's a watch that has probably quadrupled in value in just the last five years or so. As people are looking for kind of special Rolexes, but it's still pretty affordable. Rates, right? it's going to be you know still far less than a steel uh, stainless steel Daytona right now. That's just going to be around thirty. I mean, this watch, I believe, um, is going to be in the teens or maybe even less than that. So, um, but so I got some cool stuff coming in and and things for people to look at, uh, you know, special watches. Well, stuff like that that fuels the website, right? Like those one-off pieces you don't see very often and, and kind of the cool, like, yeah, uh, quirky watch collector type watch, I would say. Um, that's the cool stuff. I mean, within the 11 pieces, uh, obviously uh, some big hitters in that in that kind of sales group, uh, two of which the biggest pieces are, are FP Journe, which we're seeing the market go nuts right now. Um, so there's there's two types of guys for me with FP Jorn right now, uh, customer wise, and these are my current customers. There's guys waiting to see what's going to happen, and there's guys that are you know waist deep and trying to figure out where the next foothold is. And those are the guys that are spending two fifty, five hundred, you know, on these pieces now. And then there's the guys you know very much like what I would identify as where. I would want to watch that's you know thirty six to forty grand, mm -hmm. and that has now passed me by you know and another seventy five. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the category where my pocketbook would play in, but you know so I'm sitting by the sideline just like some of these guys waiting to see what's going to happen. But um, you know there's people that are the the type of guys that are pulling triggers on stuff that's two fifty and five hundred are not affected by by these markets. This is where their fortunes yeah. are won is in, yeah. in the kind of the flux of the market, you know. They're playing playing real games with real money. So, you know, it's funny. Uh, on now, it's I guess the lower end, but I have a customer reaching out and asking me. Um, he goes, "Hey, you know, I want to spend fifteen to twenty thousand dollars on a on a sport Rolex. You know, what are my options?" And it's funny because 
five years ago, the answer would have been like basically anything you can think of. Um, and now it's like, you're, you're pretty limited. I mean, there are definitely watches in that range and he's, you know, even just on our website, there was probably 30 or 40 watches you could pick from, but you know, uh, looking for value in that range is not very easy. So for example, I suggested to him, we have a, uh, a Rolex Coke bezel GMT. And I said, you know, this is a great watch statement piece. Um, you know, like bona fide sport model Rolex. It's not like an Air King or something like that. That's going to be kind of like a tweener or whatever. Um, and you know, at I think it's listed on our website for thirteen four fifty. At that price point, compared to a lot of these other watches, it seems like it's a value. And it's something that my personal belief, and I've been wrong about this many times. So if you're listening here, don't take this as you know advice on purchasing. But uh, my personal belief is that the watch probably has room to move up in value. And if they do release a new ceramic version of the Coke that watch will skyrocket, right? Like, I think we can all agree on that. Um, but we don't know if that's going to happen. But if it does, then <clears throat> the original versions are definitely going to skyrocket. So like, that was one of the ones I offered to him in that price range. But uh, there's not, you know, there's not a ton of uh, a variety in that price range right now, which is, uh, it's pretty wild to see kind of how things have scaled and moved, moved upwards. Yeah, I mean, the whole market, as we say, you know, it's kind of an all boats rise situation. We say that a lot. The whole market's up uh and then i don't know that anyone would venture to disagree with your assessment that a steel rolex will eventually go up at this point um you know especially a piece like that that's not necessarily a heavily inflated piece right now so yeah absolutely and, and i have some some very strong opinions on why the market's up what it's going to be doing and what are the factors but we can use that as uh as bait for another podcast, Jay and I, you can we can chat for another hour about that stuff. But uh, let's um, let's get into, uh, I guess, our main topic, and, and it's this is going to be based on a question that uh, was sent over or a topic uh, that was sent over through Instagram. So, guys, if you follow my uh, me um, on Instagram, I'm at Mr. Thanos M R T H A N O S, and Jason is what Evo underscore watches. Correct. Yeah. Evo underscore watches, plural. Plural. Um, and, you know, if you if there's things you want us to chat about or, or get our insight on, um, send us a message on Instagram and we can, you know, we'll put it on a list. We have a, a Google Doc that we share here and we look at all the different suggestions and we look for ideas for topics. So this one came from a guy that's at watch 5K. So we thank him for sending over the topic. And he, um, his his question was, is the Skydweller stainless steel an undervalued watch, um, if that's a thing, in the uh, in the steel sport watch or the Rolex, uh, uh, you know, department? Um, but he says, you know, with, with these watches only about, uh, he says, around 5K over retail compared to Hulk's, uh, the Batman's, Pepsi's, and, you know, Daytona's, uh, is that a value? Um, and then he also said uh, he'd like us to do a this or that. Uh, Skydweller versus uh, Paddock annual calendar. So that got my juices flowing. I was thinking about that. And while we're not going to answer these questions directly, I think this is a good topic. And it it got me thinking, and Jason, I've, I've said this many times before, but um, I think that the, uh, the Rolex Skydweller may be the best watch that Rolex has ever made and released. Um, and I think there's a good case that can be made. So we're, we're going to talk about that today. And we can compare it to a uh, a list of other annual calendars and some of them maybe, you know, have a higher finishing, a uh, higher level of finishing might be a better value 
possibly, but honestly, I think it, I think the Skywell, you can put it up against almost any other brand that makes uh, a similar complication. So Skydweller is a, uh, is an annual calendar, uh, GMT. And, uh, with, with everything that you get in that watch, I think it might be the best watch that they make. And it's also silly to say, I think the watch might be a value compared to other Rolexes, also other annual calendars. So, um, let's start by just breaking down exactly what we're talking about when we say a Skydweller, right? So Skydweller was, was a new release in 2012. It was released in gold, precious metal. Um, back then, you know, you could buy almost any Rolex out of the case and, you know, it made a splash, but it wasn't like a, uh, it, it didn't change the world for Rolex. Right. Um, and then in, um, 2017, they released, yeah, 2016 or 17, they released the watch in all steel, which did make a big splash. It was after the, the Daytona was released, which kind of started the, the trajectory in terms of people paying attention to Rolex um, and, and you know, looking at it as an investment and also as uh, something that, you know, the masses could spend money on, right? Um, it, it wasn't just a watch guy watch uh, anymore, Rolexes, even though, you know, it was probably the most well-known brand out there. So, uh, and then subsequently they've released the watch on, uh, on an Oyster Flex bracelet and precious metal. And then most recently on a, on the Jubilee, um, uh, bracelet last year. So the watch is a, it's a 42 millimeter. Um, Tim likes to call it a Datejust three <laughs> because it's basically like a giant Datejust. That's, that's my term by the way. Okay. So Tim stole that from you, Jay. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, it's basically a giant day just though it's um it's a it's a 42 millimeter it's the ultimate day just right uh, but i mean so the day just is a 41 millimeter the um uh, the sky dwellers are 42 but if you put them side by side it, it it looks the the difference in the watches is certainly more than just the uh just the one millimeter i believe the sky dwellers are 14 millimeter thick watch so it's going to be a, a much heftier watch than a day just um, and, but the way that the case is designed, it does wear very comfortable on most wrists. So I'd say, um, again, you know, my assertion, it's the best Rolex that's currently being made and probably the best Rolex that's ever been made. Um, and I'd say the only caveat is if the watch is too big for your wrist, you probably disagree with me and maybe you tune out at this point. Um, but you have, uh, a, an ingenious design that allows the bezel to be basically part of the movement and it, it works as like a, a fail safe. So you, you can't really um, break the watch by setting it, right? You have different um, designators in within the bezel. So as you click the bezel uh, or move the bezel around, it's going to move it into different settings to, to allow you to set the watch differently, different ways, forwards and backwards through dates and through timelines. Um, and it's uh, an ingenious and very original design uh, in terms of the movement, um, and uh, and in terms of like the aesthetic, it's it's going to have the size and heft of a sport watch, but the design elements of a dress watch. So it's it's like the best in between watch, right? If you were just going to have one watch or one Rolex, I'd say the Skydweller is the one to buy because you could literally do it. You know, Danny t says beach to tux. I like to call it beach to boardroom because I like alliteration, but. You can literally take this watch from the beach, and I've owned Steel Skydweller. I've worn it at the beach. Go home, shower, get dressed for dinner, and I can wear this out to a nice dinner. And it's gonna 
it, it's going to serve every purpose. It's going to be water resistant up to 100 meter, uh, 100 meters, so you can take it in the pool or in the ocean. Um, and uh, but it definitely has a presence to itself too. So if you're looking for a watch, especially if you're looking for like say your first Rolex, you want something that's going to be a little flashier, you know, a celebration of your success. That watch is going to be it, right? Because uh, you're going to have that very recognizable large fluted bezel that basically everybody outside the watch world is going to associate with Rolex. Um, but then you have a, a highly functional um, uh, watch in terms of you have the GMT, which I've said is my favorite uh, uh, complication on a watch in general. Um, it's it's a great way to add a complication to your watch without cluttering up the dial like a chronograph does or with like a moon phase or, or a lot of these other different complications. Um, but you also have the annual calendar, which is extremely useful. It's a watch that you really only have to set one time per year, so long as it's wound, um, and it has a 72 hour power reserve. So you can take it off for the weekend and put it back on, on a Monday. If you were, uh, to do so, your the watch is still going to be ticking. You're not going to have to set it again. So, um, and then on top of that, and I know I'm making this hard pitch for this watch and Jason, you can kind of tear it apart as soon as I finish here. But, um, one of the things that I think is on, is not really, um, uh, a lot of people don't recognize that the watch comes in almost every different variation that you really can't like no other Rolex watch comes this way. Right. So you can buy it in almost every metal besides platinum, which I think that that might be a thing too. I think they have to figure out a way, um, to make it so it's wearable. Cause uh, you know, the, uh, the yacht, the yacht master two in platinum is kind of an unwearable watch, um, just cause it's so big, but that one's 44. So you can buy it in every metal, um, uh, every metal besides platinum right now, you can buy it on a sh on a leather strap, you can buy it on a rubber strap, you can buy it on an oyster bracelet, or you can buy it on a Jubilee. So literally spans every different version of the of the watch. And one thing that um, no one ever brings up is that uh, Rolex is really, really good in terms of design and uh, releasing a watch that is perfect, but sometimes they're not, and then they'll quickly make a change to, to, to fix that watch. So we can point towards a bunch of these. Um, the uh, the, um, the 44 millimeter Sea Dweller is a watch that they redesigned. Um, the Datejust is a watch that they redesigned. They went from the uh, the 40 to the, or sorry, the, uh, the, the Datejust <coughs> is, uh, is a one that they've they've redesigned, they re-release it, the 1.2 as opposed to the 1.1, and they changed the, the proportions on that. The Date 8 also, um, the Date 840 to the Date 841, they changed the the um, the proportions on that. Even the Submariner, the most iconic watch, right? It took them almost 10 years, but then they also redesigned that watch to make it essentially more perfect, right? Because the current model, I think, is the is my favorite model. But So they've redesigned a bunch of these watches, and probably more than you can think of, but the Skydweller, since it's released, they have not changed the proportions on that watch, and they really haven't changed anything. I mean, the movement's been rock solid since they since they released it. Like the Yachtmaster Two had had um, issues with the movement when they first released it, and they had to fix that. So um, that's a, the Skydweller has kind of been perfect since they released it almost a decade ago. Um, and the only thing they've done is just change the metal, change the dials, and uh, the strap configurations. So for all those reasons, I think that it's. It's the best Rolex that they've ever made. It's the uh, it's the best one that they sell currently. And I would probably put it up against almost any other annual calendar out there, uh, including Paddock and IWC, who makes a bunch of annual calendars and almost every brand. So there's my pitch, Jason. Um, I was That was a long-winded pitch, but, you know, that's uh, that's my I was, belief. So. I was just going to let you go. <laughs> yeah, well, that was, a, it was almost like a, what, a seven, eight-minute uh, rant there, but... Um, I know that you disagree with me on some of these points, so uh, 
what do you got? Uh, some of them to an extent. I mean, I'll start with the fact that I don't think it's a it's a good place to be to try and argue against that watch. Um, you know, it's yeah. it, while it's not my favorite watch, uh, and I I wouldn't own one um, personally. I I think it does a lot of things really well. I just it's my main beef with this type of argument is that. Uh, I'm not, and I don't think a lot of guys are a one watch guy. And I don't know that, you know, it comes down to if it does everything, you know, it's not going to do one thing perfect or one thing extremely well if it does everything. Um, so that's, it's kind of the philosophy more than the piece itself. And we can argue that's kind of why watch collecting exists because there's lots of boxes to tick and, you know, maybe you need a piece for every type of occasion. Um, I don't think the guy that's buying that watch is buying just that one watch and that's it and he's done. I think that that's a guy that probably has moved through a bunch of watches and figured out that, you know, he likes that size or, or for whatever reason, he feels like he needs an annual calendar in a specifically sporty, you know, durable watch. So, so I'll start by saying I do like the Sky Dweller. I think it offers, you know, unparalleled value if you're looking for an annual calendar in something that you can actually wear and abuse. Uh, there's really nothing else on the market that's going to take that type of abuse. Um, I do like it. I prefer it in its original oyster bracelet. I don't care for the Jubilee, uh, but that's just me. It's just personal preference. Um, but that being said, I would venture on the other side of the argument to say I prefer my perpetual calendar in something of a dressier watch. Uh, I think that the complication itself uh, deserves the kind of annual calendar. Uh, annual, sorry. Uh, I mean, perpetual is a whole different show, but uh, annual calendar, you know, calendar watch in general, I prefer in a dressier piece. I think that it's the type of complication that kind of deserves the respect of like a dress watch. Uh, that, you know, that being said, there's tons of other sporty annuals um, that you can kind of compare it to, but nothing that's going to be as durable, I would, I would argue, as the Rolex. But if I was going to maybe build a collection, I would put an annual calendar in something uh, of a grail watch like like a paddock. Something like for me, a 5396G is kind of always been a piece that uh, is sub you know sub 40 grand or so. But I but I think it's a like a grail calendar piece. Um, you know, there's there's tons of them out there. There's you know, Omega does sub 10 grand. Uh, annual calendars with their constellation series that are very popular. It's one of the rare, one of the rare omegas that sells over a list. Um, IWC has the Portugueser with an annual calendar that's got a beautiful readout and very easy kind of watch to wear as well. Um, there's tons of options. I just think that maybe this argument is more build a collection or build one watch. And for me personally, I'd rather have you know a GMT that's separate from my annual and a dive watch that's separate from both and, and kind of cross all my bases there. Okay. Understood. So you would pick say like the, like for example, the 5396G over, I guess like a, a white gold on a strap. So if we're going to compare one for one, um, that's something that that's a, that's a choice you would make. Yeah. I mean, so at the end of the day, it, I guess it would have to be money aside, right? Because uh, a white gold on a strap versus uh, they might be similar, but I believe the 5396G is going to be a little bit more expensive yeah. currently. Probably about, um, so, about 10 grand more, uh, you know, eight to, eight to yeah, $10,000 so more about, expensive. So figure about 20 grand if you were add something like a Submariner to offset the kind of daily durability of the Skydweller. 
Um, you know, so let's say you, you would add something like a, a diver, maybe it doesn't have to be a sub, but just in the spirit of keeping it Rolex to Rolex, um, you know, maybe you would add something like a sub or even a date just 41 if you wanted a similar look and to have something that's, you know, durable. Sure. Okay. So then, so what you're saying, you're advocating for picking up, uh, say like the 5396 plus like a date just, um, as opposed to getting the sky dweller that would essentially be kind of the combination of both. Right. I just, I tend to like the, for me and the, the philosophy of collecting is, you know, I like to work my way through different complications and figure out what works for me. And I think a lot of guys do I think that speaks to a lot of collectors. You got to kind of, you know, make those mistakes, make those adjustments, figure out what you like, what you don't like. I just personally like to celebrate the complication of each watch individually like I'm not a big grand complication fan because I feel like, again, not to, to keep barking up the same tree, but if, if it does everything under the sun, you know, it's like having a, like a multi-tool it does everything kind of okay. Doesn't ever do anything, you know, one thing, the greatest. So I think you get more versatility out of having a collection that can cross, you know, check a bunch of different boxes as opposed to one or two watches that kind of fits everything into two watches. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, I mean, for me, like, so I think Paddock is definitely, um, that, that would, that would be the biggest rival in, in terms of, uh, a maker that, that focuses on annual calendars, right? I think like annual calendars is, is kind of the Paddock's, in Paddock's DNA. So to, to say that, you know, a watch, because it, I mean, what you're going to get with Patek is going to be very different, obviously, than a Rolex. Rolex are workhorse watches, but again, but are also, well-engineered and literally in a company that does literally everything in-house, right? They're making everything. They're smelting their own gold, right? Like they're, they do everything in-house too, which I think is also something that, that people don't give them credit for. They say like, oh, Rolex is all marketing, but realistically it's not. I mean, they, they have everything they release. The designs are, are always spot on. Even watches that, that come out and I say, this thing sucks. Can't believe it. Then when I get it on the wrist, eventually I'm like, you know what? Rolex did it again. You know, they, they, they did it right. So, there's something to be said about that, um, but what you're not going to get with a Rolex that you would get with a Patek or with a lot of other brands is going to be a high level of finishing on the movements. Their movements are more utilitarian, um, and that's one of the reasons why they don't show their movements. They not they never you're not going to buy a Rolex with a um, with an open case back because it's not going to be a pretty movement. It's going to be made to uh, it's going to be made to work right, and any of the design elements. And the finishing is all going to be done on the case and on the dial side. So um, that's one thing you're not going to get. You're not going to get a high level of artisanal watchmaking um, from Rolex that you would get from Patek. So I can see, uh, you know, there is going to be a level of like art collecting when it comes to Patek. So that would be one of the biggest arguments that say against a the Rolex Skydweller and for a watch like a Patek or like a Longa or, uh, you know, a Jorn or some another brand that's going to deliver a, a similar, or something a vacheron the vacheron's a really good one that, that I, I don't always pay attention to and and like we were talking about this before so like what would go up against um a sky dweller right from another brand and uh you know this is a an annual calendar gmt so like this it, it, when we when we thought about it and it's like this so the, the steel sky dweller against essentially um a uh a vacheron overseas dual time Right, it's not an annual calendar, but it is. It's a GMT with a date, 
So you're going to get a similar complication. You're just going to have to you know, set it more often, but you're going to get a much higher level of finishing. The design elements are definitely going to be higher. So, And right now, the price points on, on the steel pieces are going to be similar. So that would certainly be a great this or that. That would be a hard decision for me to make. Um, I think some days I'd pick the Rolex and other days I'd pick the, the Vacheron. But you're going to get, again, a much higher level of finishing on the movement for the Vacheron, but it's not going to be quite as robust. Um, and, you know, you're going to have maybe a higher level uh, or a higher cost of of servicing on the Vacheron. But like I've said this a million times before, there is no better bracelet design and bracelet finishing than a overseas bracelet. Like the, it, the watch, the, that bracelet is unbelievable with all the, with all the be- bevels and and like so much attention to, to detail and design. Um, so yeah, gener- generation mm-hmm. twos are great. Uh, generation threes are unbelievably good. Yep. Um, and I think that it took a while. Even even I, when the Gen three came out, I was you know pretty hung up on the date window for the for the chronographs. So yeah. I, I love the you know grande date. Mm-hmm. But when you look at Double the watch, when you look at the the movement, the the interchangeable straps, the finishing, like the Gen three is just better in every single way. Oh yeah. Um, if if you were gonna, I mean, they're not apples to apples, so it's a tough comparison. So if you wanted to take that leap and say we can, you know, venture off the direct comparison, then mm-hmm. I would probably just throw the the fifty nine sixty, right, um, in the mix because then you get an annual and a chronograph, and I think that that watch uh, with the right dial combination and maybe the right strap combination can place forty uh, with the red accents, uh, and I, I like that watch quite a bit as well. Yeah, that would that that again. I, I think I agree with you. We chatted about this before we started recording. Is that you know I was thinking about different steel watches from other manufacturers that would compete with say the um, this the Sky Dweller. So the fifty nine sixty in steel, either the white dial or the black dial, is certainly a comparison. Mm-hmm. But I mean, now you're talking essentially double the price point, right? You go you know from a good one thirty that I just to sixty. About? Go for it. Swinging back to Moser. Uh, they just announced the stream, the streamliner perpetuals coming out. Oh Lord! Oh. So yeah, that would I have so, to see that, but that would unbelievable. That would be a fantastic um, that, comparison. Their perpetual yeah. movement actually has a very similar characteristic to the Skydweller in the fact that it's you know it reads very simple, but it's a complex movement, and you know you have the leap year indicator on usually I don't know what the streamliner is going to look like, but usually on the back of the movement you have the leap year indicator, and then. Uh, the dial is pretty nominal. So similar to the Skydweller where it doesn't quite look like an annual calendar at first glance. So that's actually a pretty strong competitor, I would say. It, well, I guess it depends really on the price point, right? If that watch ends up being a $100,000 watch, then it's probably not something we compare. Um, but again, like I said, like the 5916 and steel right now are trading what around like $60,000. So that's double the price point. But again, you're getting, you're getting probably a slightly less robust watch, but higher level of finishing. There's an amazing level of, of design and um, care taken with that watch. I think it's even at the current price points, which have definitely been scaling up recently. I think it's still an undervalued watch. It's a steel paddock. Whereas, you know, we, we keep coming back to this, but um, you know, if you're compared against a, a blue Nautilus, that's over a hundred thousand dollars. Like the 5960 is a, is a better watch in almost every way, in my opinion. And it is a tremendous value right now or against a green Nautilus, which is half a million bucks. I mean, you know, there's depending on who you are. Right. Exactly. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there are some, some definite contenders here, but as we're talking through this, uh, I'm still not seeing one that I would say is without a doubt, a better watch and a better value 
than a sky dweller from Rolex at this point. I think for, so from Rolex, I would agree with you that right now, all things being equal where the market sits, there's probably not a better overall value for what you get for your money in that price range. So we're talking just for the audience that that may not be aware of current market, 25 to 30 grand, call it, mm -hmm. depending steel. on the dial for yeah. a steel piece. And, you know, for what Rolex is right now in the market, I mean, you have Submariners like the like the new Sermit and, you know, the previous Hulks going for, you know, well over, you know, 20 grand. You have Daytona is going for over 30. Uh, that's a watch that, you know, re obviously retails for 13, way less than half of yeah, that. Chronograph with no um, date. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about a Rolex market that's currently just, you know, out, out of, of this control, world right. on fire. And here's a watch that has existed in so many iterations that there's, they're kind of available everywhere for, for market price of 25 to 30 grand. You can get whatever flavor you want. Um, you know, there's not really one that's extremely hard to find where you can't just look for it and buy it. Uh, so it really just comes down to price. Um, are those watches much, much nicer, you know, in yesteryear when you could get one for, you know, sub 20 probably. But if you're going to buy the watch right now, you know, hindsight's 2020, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, I think the market price on this watch is, it's much more reasonable than say like a, like the, the Daytona. So for example, if you're, you're, you're going to pay high thirties, like $38,000, say for a white dial Daytona, um, you know, you're getting a cool watch, ton of history, but you know, the, for what you spend, for what you get, right. You're getting a, a time, a time only chronograph, no date, 40 millimeters. That's that wears truly like a 40 or even a little bit smaller, like a 39 versus for, you know, minimum $10,000 less, right? So yeah. like, you know, even a blue dial sky dweller is going to be in like right around $30,000 right now. Um, but that watch you're getting 42 millimeters, right? So it's a little bit bigger. You're going to get, um, a, uh, an ingenious design and a, an amazing complication and a watch that you can literally wear everywhere. Like again, you know, if you're traveling, the Daytona is probably not the best, you know, functional watch to wear. Sky dweller is going to win sure. out there. Um, and you know, if you're, if you're a slightly bigger guy, like you and I, like I've had the Daytona, the only Daytonas that I truly, really love are, are the, the precious metal, like a yellow gold or rose gold, just cause they, there's a little bit more help, uh, heft on the wrist and they, and they feel like they wear, wear slightly bigger than they are. Right. So for, for anybody who's kind of in that range, Skydweller wins out. And then literally every iteration you can think of, you can get the watch with every different type of bracelet, every different type of design different colors, different markers on the, on the dial. So you can get Romans, you can get sticks. Um, and there's really like a flavor for literally everybody. So at market price, even so the 25 to $30,000, I feel like the watch is a tremendous value relative to the market. You also get, I mean, if you were to compare it to something that's like around the same size, let's say you're a bigger guy, you mentioned, uh, wearing something in that size, like the Yachtmaster 2, mm -hmm. this is infinitely more useful. The oh, yeah. that comes on a Skydweller than a Yachtmaster 2 because the, the market, I mean, unless you're racing boats, <laughs> the market for that watch is, uh, I think a lot of people wear that watch and don't use the complications where at least this is useful complication. Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like we started with, it's kind of hard to, I guess you could pick apart like which Sky Dweller you like best. I personally am a big fan of the, the first Precious Metal Generations with the differential subdials. I think that looked better than when they started matching the subdials to the, it's probably easier to read on the steel pieces with the same color dials, but I just think there was something special about the Precious Metal pieces having the differential dials. Yeah, the uh, the white gold with the black dial and the white, um, so that I don't think is, yeah. is so sick. Something just nasty about that. But again, it, they have something for everyone. So, I mean, I think we kind of wrung this this topic out, man. I mean, obviously, people are, who are listening here may be sick of hearing me, you know, hype up this watch. But, you know, truly, I, I do love the watch. Um, I've owned it a few different times. I, I probably will own it again, um, deciding what I don't have a Rolex in my collection currently. So um, deciding if, if I want to add one of these. And if I do, it'll probably be a two-tone um oyster bracelet with the gold dial just because it's it's silly hopefully this didn't come across as a sky dweller commercial <laughs> uh not not that there needs to be a commercial for that so um but yeah that's uh i think that's that's all of it man so um you know we run it up on about 45 minutes here uh i like these topics from instagram we should we'll do some more polls i know we have you know 10 or 15 more topics already listed so oh yeah we can do some stuff. I mean, we've already talked about it. So we're going to try to make this a, a weekly podcast. So guys, if you have any um, if you have any topics you want us to go over, if you have my cell number or Jay's, you can text us. If you follow us on Instagram, shoot us a message and we'll uh, we'll give you a shout out. So today's topic was inspired by at Watch5K. So check him out also. I thank you, sir. And uh, if you're uh, if you like this podcast, go ahead and subscribe. We're on iTunes. Um, I believe these are on uh, Spotify as well. Any place you get your um, your podcast, you can also check out. Uh, Jason and I ha have about eighty episodes of the Trading Desk that are uploaded onto um, uh, the Watchbox Studios uh, YouTube account. So go ahead and check that out. Check that out. I mean, we're growing subscribers on a daily basis. Check us out on Instagram at Watchbox. Check me out at Mister Thanos. Jason's at Evo underscore Watches. Uh, and until next time, see you later. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Adios. Bye.